Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Good morning, everyone. I think um, that was an amazing time of worship and communion. And um, yeah, I want to I want to bring the word today. I I was really praying about this, and I really wasn't sure what to what to share or what to preach on. But um, I really felt like God put something on my heart yesterday. So I want to go to John chapter 3. Yeah. Some of you are probably thinking, oh, he's going to be preaching from John 3.16. That is exactly what I'm doing. So there you go. I've got rid of the surprise. You know where we're going. You know, as Christians, we never, um, we never graduate from John 3.16. It's not something we do at the beginning and then leave it because we know that verse. This is, a, this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible for a reason. And um, I think it's important, even as I'm reading it today, that we don't just dismiss it as something we've heard a hundred times over, right? So I'm just going to read here. It's John 3. I'm going to go from verse 13 to 16. And it says here, this is Jesus speaking. He says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. You see, when we read John 3.16, often we'll read it as, for God so loved the world, speaking of the the grandness of God's love. And even though that is 100% true and that's 100% right, that's not exactly what the for God so loved the world actually is pointing to. That so isn't an adjective, it's, it's a signpost, and it's pointing back to verse 14. It's not, even though God's love for us is so great and so grand, it's saying as the, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, God's love points to that. And it points to that. That's why it says, for God so loved the world, in the same manner. That's what it's pointing to. And so, as we see this, this was a picture. What God did through Moses in the wilderness was a picture of today. And you can read about it, and for the sake of time, I won't go there. But in Numbers 21, it talks about the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. God is feeding them with manna from heaven, but they're still not in the promised land. And they get, they get angry. They get bitter. They start mocking God. They start mocking the provision of God, saying that this bread is worthless, what he's giving us. And then God brings his judgment on them. And he sends serpents into their, into their camp, and it bites some of them, and some of them die from it. And then the children of Israel, realizing their sin, realizing that we've gone against the Lord, and this is from the Lord, this judgment, they come to Moses and they repent, and they say, Moses, please pray to God on our behalf. Take this away from us. We're so sorry that we've gone against you, Lord, that we've mocked what you've given us, and that we've, we've thought that we are higher than the Lord. So then God commands Moses, and he says, take a serpent. Put it on a pole and raise it up. And, as the, and it basically says in this verse, it says, But everyone who was bitten by the snake, when they look to it, they shall live. And this was a picture of the temporary 
um, salvation for them. This was a temporary salvation for the children of Israel, but it was a picture also of the eternal salvation that God would give through Jesus. That the snake being put on a pole, on a piece of wood, lifted up high, speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus, raised up, and then when the people looked to Jesus and the cross, Jesus and the cross, that they would be saved. And that's what God is saying here. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, in that like manner, as Moses lifted up the serpent, as he was lifted up high, and as they, when they looked at it, they lived, God loves you so much that he puts Jesus on that very cross, that he lifts Jesus up high. It's the crucifixion of Jesus that describes God's love there. He's saying, in that like manner, God so loved the world that not only did he give him, but he put him on a cross for you and for me. And this is why Jesus had to be lifted up. You see in verse 15, in, um, in the end of verse 14 then, it said, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You know, when it comes to our salvation, there was no other way. When Jesus is in the garden, he was said, if there is another way, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That there was no other plan. There was no backup. There was no plan B that God only had one way to redeem man, and that was through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's how God so loved the world. It wasn't just through Jesus coming, but it was through him dying on our behalf and taking our sin, taking our sickness. And this is what it points to here. And you see here, this was the picture. The, the, the children in Israel, they were bitten. They were, some of them had died. Some of them were on the brink of death. They were in sin. They were separated from God. They were also in sickness. And the remedy was one. It was lift up the serpent. And as the serpent that's been impaled on the pole, when they look to the serpent, they will be healed. So it is today that Jesus, when you look to Jesus, you will be set free. That he is our one remedy. He is the, the one-stop shop that everything comes to and points to Jesus. That in everything that we face, that Jesus is the answer. That there is no other. There is no other way. God didn't give them another strategy to heal the children of Israel. He said, this is the one thing. And everyone that's been bitten, when they look to that, they shall live. And that's how God so loves us. And then it says here in verse 15, it says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave Jesus to us. And this is the, the great treasure that we have, that he didn't give Jesus to us for that 30-odd year time span. It wasn't just a, a temporary giving of Jesus. It was an eternal giving of Jesus to us. That what Jesus made and committed to you was an eternal promise. He didn't just become the Son of Man for 33 years and went away. He is eternally the Son of Man. When he bore the wounds, when he was pierced in his hands and his feet, it wasn't just a one-time piercing that today he is still pierced with the same wounds for you and me. But that doesn't change. He, the marks he bore for you are eternal marks. And this wasn't just a, a light thing for Jesus. This was an eternal commitment to us. And this is the, the wonder of our salvation that God, you think about it, God, who is the creator, the Alpha and Omega, the uncreated one that it says in the Bible that all things were created through Jesus and without him nothing was made that was made. 
And he becomes a, a seed inside the womb of a virgin woman and comes as a, as a baby and grows up, grows up like a man. He humbles himself as a man and then bears all of our sin. This is God we're talking about. This is what makes the gospel so different. This is why, you know, the word gospel, it wasn't even really used until they wrote the Bible. There was, it's such a unique word, but it can only point to one, and that is that God comes personally to us, and he dies in our place, and he restores us. And that is the wonder of our salvation. And I want to just go into verse 16 here. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know that word have, that is a, a present tense. This is not speaking of the life to come one day when you die, although that is the, the great reward for us when we go to heaven. It is speaking of a, having the eternal life right now, the everlasting life. This isn't just what Jesus paid for, isn't just for after you die and go to heaven. This is for today. Our salvation begins now. It's not a, a future event. And that's why he says you have eternal life. Some of the translations, when you read that, it actually says, instead of whoever believes in him, it actually speaks of whoever believes into him. It speaks of a faith that puts you in Christ, which I think is really powerful. I think that is an amazing place to be, hidden in Christ. You know, the Christian life for us doesn't just begin when we go to heaven. That is not just when salvation begins. That it is a life that begins right now. It is from the moment you save, you're saved. That's why it says, have everlasting life. And everlasting life isn't just living forever. Otherwise, you couldn't have that now. That would be an eternal thing. If it was just about living forever and having no end and being immortal, then you couldn't have everlasting life right now because we are in a body. But Jesus explains what everlasting life means in John 17.3. He says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, the eternal life that Jesus is speaking about does capture eternal life that in heaven, but the main point of it that he was speaking about was in a, a knowing of God, to know God. And not just to know about him either. It was that word know is an intimate knowing and a relational knowing. You know, um, it's hard in our English language. We don't always get so many words. I know like in Portuguese, you'll have two words. You have saber and conhecer. Saber, to know about, to know about someone or to know a celebrity or or to know about a location, or know what the capital of a country is. But Cognier says to, to know deeply, to know that person, to be like, yes, I know them. I know them. I've experienced them. I've had first-hand contact with them. I know them. And that's what this knowing is. It's not a, an abstract knowing. It's a personal, relational knowing. It's the same word to know that Mary uses when the angel speaks to Mary, saying, you're going to bear a son, and he will be the Son of God, and he will be the Savior of the world. And she says to him, how shall this be? For I do not yet know a man. 
It's not because she's in some all-girls boarding school in, out in the country, right? She knows men. She's not never met a man before, but she's saying, I don't know man personally. I don't, I'm not intimate with anyone. How can I have this child if I'm not intimate with anyone? And that's the same word to know. The, the, this is what the everlasting life is. It's knowing God. It's, it's knowing Jesus. And that's why it's, you can have it today. From the point that you're saved, you can have eternal life today because it's about knowing God for yourself. This is, in part, the divine call of John 3.16. It is not just, obviously, it's Jesus going to the cross in our place, but it's not just that we will receive that when we get to heaven, but it is a, a life that we can live right now. The, the fruit of what Jesus has done is available to us right now. And in our, in our walk on this world, before we even go to heaven, is to know Jesus. And that's what I'm here, and that's what God's put on my heart, that there is a, a deeper place of knowing Jesus than we've even scratched the surface of, that there, are, there is further and, and deeper that we can go with the Lord that we have yet to even imagine that God desires for each and every one of us, that Jesus paid for eternally. You know, it's what the, if you read in the Bible, it's what the men and the women of God were, were pressing into. You can just read it. It would be, whether it was David in the Psalms where he's like, um, you know, I thirst for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He's, he's saying, even where I've got no water, the thing I thirst for isn't water. It's, it's you, God. I thirst for you. I need you, God. It's when Paul, the, the greatest apostle that's ever lived, he says, everything that I've counted is, is rubbish that I may gain Christ. And this is a Christian, right? There'll be people that are maybe sitting here or people who go, oh, I have everything in Christ. I already, I already have the maximum of the Christian life that I've already got at the point of salvation. But then what Paul said there would be, would be wrong. If he was already saved, but he's saying, I'm pressing into Christ, that I'm laying everything else aside, that I may gain him. That's what he says. He says, I may gain Christ. He says, there is, there's a deeper level to our salvation. There is there is further and deeper that we can go and that Jesus calls us into. That he calls us into himself and he has an abundant life for every one of us that he desires for us to walk in. And this is the, the rich and abundant life of our salvation. It goes so much further than just heaven one day. Even though that is the great prize, but there is a life right now that God wants to have with me, with me and with you. You know, some would say, well, this is a, a legalistic message, or this is a works message. This isn't, this isn't nothing, there's nothing that I bring to the table when it comes to my relationship with God, right? It's, it's what Paul said in the end of Galatians. He says, I've got nothing to boast about except the cross of Jesus Christ. There's, there's nothing that I bring that, that even comes close to what Jesus did at the cross, okay? But this is, what I'm speaking of is the divine invitation of the Lord, that this is God himself, Jesus himself, where it speaks about in Revelation 3, where it says he's knocking at the door. He's knocking at the door, who will open? And it's speaking of really knowing him and, and going and walking with him, having that history with God on this earth that goes so much deeper and further and where God is able to take you to places and do things that you could never even imagine. You know, I believe... This message of salvation and the message of Jesus, this is for the church today as well. I know people will say that the world needs Jesus, but the church needs Jesus as well. The church needs the gospel as well, and especially in 
well, not my generation, I'm probably a bit, getting a bit old now, but even in the younger generation or in the modern church, the church needs the gospel again. And it needs the full gospel. It needs, it needs Christ and him crucified. You know, Paul said, him we preach. Jesus we preach. And I believe we need to come back to the fullness of Jesus, where he is our all in all, where we truly look to him and say nothing else. In you, we find everything. You know, sometimes I know growing up, it was like I'd be in church and it's like Jesus is almost like a vaccine, right? You have a little bit of him and it numbs you to the rest of him. You have a little bit of the gospel, just enough, and then everything, you're numb and you're immune to every other part of Jesus and you, you just cope on that little bit and that's enough for you. But there is so much more that God calls us into. There is so much further God desires to have in our lives and so much more we can give to him. You know, this, I'm not talking about the love of God. Obviously, God loves us all unconditionally. He doesn't love anyone more than another. But I'm talking about walking with God and God trusting you. And God does trust people differently. Even though he loves us all the same, there are, there are levels of trust in terms of your history of God and your obedience and what he knows he can put on you and put in you and can entrust you with. And that is biblical. That is throughout the Bible. And I want to turn quickly to Numbers 12. I'm just going to do a few verses here, if you don't mind. This is Numbers 12. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. And this is speaking of Moses and his two siblings. And it says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. For they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak, plain, I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Imagine God coming to your defense. You know, in, the bio, in there, they were first talking about him marrying an Ethiopian woman. And even though what they were saying was wrong, because they were elder siblings within the family, they had the authority to speak like that, even though it was wrong what they were saying. They had the authority. But as soon as they questioned Moses' relationship with the Lord, that's when the Lord spoke. And the Lord came and defended Moses on his behalf. And this is the words that they were saying. They were saying, has God only spoken through Moses? He speaks through us all. In other words, saying, aren't we all the same? Don't we all have the same walk with God? Aren't we all as close to God? God doesn't just use Moses. He uses all of us. We're on the same level. We have the same intimacy with God, and we speak the exact same words. So who is he 
Who is he? We're all the same. And God comes to defend him. And even though God uses us all, we all have different walks with God. And that is an invitation and a choice that we choose. And this is where God responds. And he says to them, he says, you know, I speak to them and you guys hear me in a, in a vision or in a dream. But he says, with Moses, I speak to him face to face. He says, I don't, I don't speak to him in riddles. I speak to him plainly and he sees my very form. This shows the difference of the walk with God that we can have. It doesn't have to be the same. We don't have to settle for what we've got now. We today have a better covenant with better promises. And it says there that Moses saw the Lord face to face. And in other passages in the Bible, God says he speaks to him as a man speaks to a friend. This is the same God, the God that never changes. And he says, to, he says on Moses' behalf, I speak to him face to face. This is the, the deep calling unto deep, as, as David would call it. This is the, the depths of God touching the depths of you, where it goes so much further than just a salvation one day. This is a knowing God now and knowing all of him and accepting all of him, not choosing what parts of the gospel you want, not compromising, not having a little bit of God, but then the rest of it for you. This is having all of God and letting you seeing and knowing the fullness of Jesus, which is so much better than anything else. You know, I don't know what you guys may be facing today. I know in my life there's, it feels like hundreds of things going on. And I know there are people here that have got challenges or difficulties or situations but God is still the same God, and the remedy is still the same. As it said in John 3.16, as, as it was pointing to, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You may have, there may be promises in the Bible that you're standing on, but it says in 2 um, Corinthians chapter 1, it says, all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. That The yes and amen to those promises are found in Jesus. Truly in Jesus. We live and we move and we have our being. That he who is from above is above all. That he is our everything. That there is no substitute. There is no worthy substitute for Jesus Christ. Who God has given to us. God has given us him forever. This is what it speaks about in Revelation. Where at the end times there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where the fullness of our unity with Jesus will be realized at that marriage. When he marries his church. And that. We are just getting a taste of that now, but there is a, a depth to knowing God that goes far beyond what we've even scratched the surface of. There is so much more to Jesus than we know. Thank you for watching this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at or check out our website at www center-church.uk